right, folks, we are back. Number 75 of Behind the Yellow Line. It's been a couple weeks since the three of us have gotten together here to record a Cubs podcast, and Cubs are actually playing pretty good baseball here. Good to see Jeremy tonight. Good to see Randall. We are on Twitter at BTYL Podcast, and tonight we want to talk about the Red Hot Cubs. They've won four straight series. They've won five of six, and they're getting some pretty talented play from a couple of guys that we haven't talked about much on this podcast. Really looking forward to breaking that down here. Uh, Also, lots going on around the 4th of July holiday. Concerts at Wrigley Field. Jeremy and I were out for a ball game at Wrigley Field. We saw a Cubs win. Uh, I got a little rant about my experience at Wrigley Field as well. I look forward to sharing with you all. We got weather. Cubs are going to LA for four. Probably be sunny, warm. Cubs come home for a homestand. Baltimore and the Mets on that homestand. We got weather for the first two games with the Oves. And then uh, some prospect corner. Randall, staying up to date on all these hot prospects here. Some exciting news about one of the most uh, exciting Cubs youngsters who's going to the Futures game. We'll break that down as well. And uh, that's the game plan here tonight. But gentlemen, good to see you both. We are post 4th of July. I'm back in Denver. You guys are settled in there in the Chicago area. And Cubs kind of playing good ball here, Jeremy. I feel like it's been weeks since we've been able to come on this show and say, you know what? Cubs are doing all right. Well, they've won their last uh, four series, you know, five of the last six. So yeah, they've been playing good ball. And and to me, I feel like a big part of that has been uh, we've talked about it numerous times on the podcast, but the the young pitching that we've seen from uh, Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson, and then you're seeing a young guy like Christopher Morrell play very well, and Rafael Tega's getting it together. So it, it's it's fun to see fun to see them go up, you know, two out of three against the Brewers. They took in the ninth, they scored twice this week off a hater in the ninth, in the top of the ninth. So that's always fun to see Seiya Suzuki coming back. Yeah, it's good to come onto the pod with good feelings. Randall, you got to be feeling good anytime you beat up on the Brewers. Absolutely. The Cubs aren't just playing good ball right now. They're playing good ball against competitive teams, and they're playing good ball against competitive teams who happen to be hated division opponents. Two out of three from the Cardinals uh, last weekend, two out of three from the Brewers this week. If you're not going to be very good, you might as well be the most obnoxious spoiler you can possibly be. How many times did we watching competitive Cubs teams, watch them lose to crappy Brewers teams and wondering how the hell are they losing to this team? Any of that pain that we can visit upon the Milwaukee fans right now is to be celebrated. Yeah. And, and how, just to go back a little bit, what, how about that on the, on July 4th, when uh Seiya Suzuki hits that ball, that, that shot off a of hair just perfectly against the, the wall that, you know, that, that funky little nook they have there and was able to go all the way around the bases. That was just a very fun experience. It's too bad. They, uh, they couldn't hold it down the ninth, but uh, it's just fun to watch a good team play or not a good team, but to watch the Cubs play good baseball. They were a couple of more fortunate bounces away from sweeping the Brewers in Milwaukee. The leadoff hit in the ninth inning on the 4th of July was a, a little blue pit that ended up coming around to score on the, uh, the bases loaded walk. If that ball gets caught. Chances are David Robertson finishes it out and we're celebrating a sweep of Milwaukee, a whole lot of sad tractors exiting out of the one exit of the, the Miller AmFam ballpark place uh, parking lots. So yeah, they're, they're playing good ball right now and they're making it hurt is the important thing. And the two losses, sorry, I was just going to say the lot, their only losses have been in extra innings, you know? So it, it's been, unf- I mean, they took two out of three against, uh, the Red Sox, who are a pretty good team. So, uh, yeah, it, they've been playing pretty good baseball as of late. 
Yeah, and, and this comes after the 10-game losing streak, so it's nice to see things bouncing back. Uh, troubling news this week as well. Got another great start from Kyle Hendricks, and now he's hurt. And shoulder issues putting him on the injured list. Randall, uh, we were speculating. I don't know if it was on the air or around the uh, barbecue grill about whether or not you trade a guy like Kyle Hendricks. You don't want to trade a World Series hero, but it seems like a lot of parts are for sale. You'd think this injury really puts that to the wayside, at least for this year. I would think so. He's going on the IL, so he's going to be on the shelf, of course, a minimum of 10 days. And for him to be any kind of attractive trade bait, he'd have to come off the IL as soon as he was eligible. And then you would think probably pitch one or two more really good starts for a team to have interest in him. Uh, I don't think the Cubs are going to give him up for the, the discount price team getting a guy who's hurt, but maybe he comes back effective later in the year. I don't think the Cubs are going to give him out for that for that kind of discount price. I think they would only trade him if they really got an offer to their liking. And if he's hurt and not pitching at all or just coming off of the injured list, I don't think they are going to get what they would want in a trade for Kyle Hendricks. So, yeah, I think it would throw a wrench in whatever plans they might have had to trade Hendricks. And honestly, I'm okay with that. It's one less player we have to say goodbye to. I know it's maybe not what's best for the organization, but it's what's best for me and for us. And sometimes that matters. I, 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 he hasn't really been pitching all that well this season. I mean, he had, he's had a couple decent starts as of late. So I would think that, you know, with him being kind of mediocre, um, dating back to last year, even, and then having the arm issues and the shoulder issues, uh, he didn't pitch for, for a, a pretty big gap earlier in June and May. So I, I, it would be hard for me to see him having much interest on the trade market. I don't think teams are really going to be looking for Kyle Hendricks as the missing piece for the second half of the season. So, yeah, yeah, I think Kyle Hendricks is here to stay through 2022 at least. Yeah, yeah, totally. Injury certainly messes it up. And I agree, Jeremy, generally, he hasn't been pitching particularly well. He had a good start in St. Louis. Um, He put together a nice stretch in July. Maybe some teams take a flyer. Maybe not the top starting pitcher on the market. I'm not saying that by any stretch, but an injury here at this time, as we get closer to that August 2nd trade deadline, it seems less and less likely. So other guys could be on the move. We talked about Wilson. We talked about Ian Happ. I want to ask you guys about somebody else who we have not talked a lot about, and this is not exactly a guy who's young, relatively new in his Cubs time, Adrian Sampson. This guy's been in the majors for multiple other teams before. He pitched in Korea. This is not a 22-year-old or 23-year-old. This is not the same as Justin Sealer, Keegan Thompson, but he had a nice ball game today against a good team on the road in Milwaukee in a game that the Brewers are thinking, you know what, we got to take this series from the rival Cubs. We're the first-place team. We're scuffling a little bit in this division right now. Five and two-thirds innings, no walks, five strikeouts. That's really cool to see that from a guy who's not getting the same recognition as a Steeler Thompson. Uh, yeah, Ronan, a Samson, a journeyman. He came up with the Cubs late last season, uh, very unheralded and rightly so. Again, he's not uh, moving the needle for anybody, but he's been pressed into this starting pitching role for the Cubs this season, and he's been surprisingly good. I don't necessarily know where it came from. People are um, suggesting he's he's tweaked the mechanics a little bit. He's uh, missing more bats than he has in the past. And again, I don't know where it came from, but he's been pressed into the starting pitching role and he's done pretty well. And, you know, you'd rather those innings maybe go to somebody with a little more promise for the future. But for as long as they're trying to hold it down with injuries to the rotation with Stroman out and with Hendricks out now, you know, kudos to him for coming in and not getting completely lit up facing some pretty good offenses on the road. So good for him. 
Uh, it's nice to see somebody kind of come out of nowhere. You'd like this maybe to happen in a year where the Cubs are a little more competitive and you can say they're getting this, this positive boost out of nowhere. But anytime somebody comes up and he overperforms maybe a little bit, you, uh, you applaud him. So good for Adrian Sampson making the most of another opportunity with the Cubs. Yeah, the Cubs, you know, we, we've talked about how they've had so many issues with injuries in the rotation. I mean, Alec Mills came back the other day and he was out with the bad back and and uh, Mark Leiter Jr. had to take over and pitch pretty well from there. And so uh, Samson, you know, he's getting his shot in the rotation now just through sheer depth. I mean, the, the Cubs have gone through so many starting pitchers and, you know, he's never really or he, he's never really been a guy who walks a ton of batters. So he's always had that going for him. He doesn't really walk guys. You know, he's increased his strikeout a little bit rate a little bit as Randall mentioned. So he matched Corbin Burns today, pretty much. I mean, Corbin Burns was there to shut down the Cubs. Cubs didn't really score against Corbin Burns, but Adrian Sampson matched him pretty much all day uh, up against in Milwaukee. So, you know, yeah, he's going to come in and I don't have like high hopes for him. I don't think he's going to be a piece that's going to be part of the, the Cubs uh, future or anything, or even a trade piece, but you know, for a few spot starts this year, it, it's nice to see him pitching pretty well. Yeah. You just want to see guys going out, um, staying in the ball game, getting outs and keeping the Cubs in it. This offense has had plenty of struggles, lots of droughts. Uh, they're terrible in extra innings, getting that Manfred man in it's, it's like unbelievable how the bats lock up lots of games in this stretch. Well, and the stretch of series wins where they could have won extra games with one clutch hit or one ball bouncing away from an outfielder, and they just don't seem to be getting that right now. But if you can get starting pitchers that can get you into the sixth inning, you're going to start winning more ball games. And not that long ago, we were talking 100 losses for this Cubs team and talking seriously about that. Let's avoid that here in 22. I would definitely like to avoid 100 losses. You know, it's a, uh, it's fun to see the team win. But you're right. I mean, they're what, like 3-8, and 3-9 and nine in extra inning games? Uh, which is just ridiculous with the way it's all set up. And they're terrible in one-run games. They've been horrible this season in that. And so, you know, you can't really be a bad team and then also be really unlucky. That doesn't that doesn't really work out for you usually. Um, so hopefully some of that, you know, evens out a little bit as we go through the season. But as we've said, you know, maybe with Seiya Suzuki coming back, some other guys picking up, the offense will start to hit a little bit because he's a big piece and he's been was gone for a month. So it's it's good to see him back and really hitting, you know, today and, uh, you know, Monday he hit and he's hit a homer yesterday. So yeah, uh, it's nice to see him have a big series when he comes back off the IL. Well, and he's critical, like big picture. We're talking about guys that are going to be here when we expect the Cubs to be good again. Everything that he does, every big game, it's important because you, you see that that's part of the bigger plan or part of the long-term game here with the Cubs. I don't like to overstate things like clubhouse chemistry. I, you know, I'm not in a major league clubhouse. You have good players on a roster. Generally, you're going to be pretty competitive. You got a bunch of bad players on your roster. Generally, you're going to be bad. And obviously, cohesiveness in a clubhouse likely helps. What I'm getting at is it's just fun as hell to see Suzuki back out there in the dugout and a guy like Christopher Morrell, who's also tearing the cover off the ball. It's just so refreshing that there's some positive energy in that dugout. The sell-off last year, long losing streaks the last two years, you get the sense it's been tense. So when you see a guy like Suzuki or Morrell with a big smile on their face, getting big hits off the best players in the division, that's really fun. And that's something that's been missing the last two years of Cubs baseball. Yeah, I do think clubhouse chemistry and dugout energy, I think they're a little overrated. I think they're a thing you talk about when your team is so good 
that you just kind of have to discuss them at the margins or when your team is so bad that you kind of have to discuss these things on the margins. But I think anyone who has watched Christopher Morrell in his five, six weeks on the big league roster, that he brings such an influx of positive energy to this team, going around fist bumping the umpires, introducing himself to new players that he hasn't met before. There's just a positive energy. It, it, it eases the sting of the team still being pretty bad. It eases it just a little bit. And the fact that he's been a very productive ball player in a number of different ways, that's even better. Like positive energy is good, but being a good baseball player with positive energy is even better. So like you said, it's a bright spot in a season that hasn't had a whole lot to appreciate so far. And I hope it's something we get to see from Christopher Morrell for a long time to come because I think he's a starting player, maybe on a mediocre team. And I think on a really good team, he's still a guy who's going to start three or four times a week at different positions and do a lot of really good things for you off the bench. So I think it's possible if we think that Morel is, this is what he is at a big leaguer, which not a guarantee, but if that is the case, I think the Cubs managed to find themselves a, a very decent player to do a lot of useful things for them for a couple of years to come. He, he was all over Saya after he hit the, yeah. the, uh, the inside fanning the him, park. Fanning homer. him with the towel. Yeah, yeah, fanning him. And it was, he had such a, you know, bubbly personality. And I was thinking in that moment, like, I don't, he wasn't up when Saya was, you know, active. Mm-hmm. So this is really the first time they ever played with each other. And he was just all over him having such, and I thought it was kind of fun to see those two guys like interacting. But yeah, I mean, we're just talking about morale in general. Like, that's a guy that has been a huge surprise and a huge, you know, when I think unexpectedly kind of so far for the Cubs, like we don't know what Christopher Vermeer will develop into, but right now the Christopher Vermeer that has played so far as a major league baseball player has been a pretty good baseball player. I mean, he's got 19 walks so far that that is kind of like a shocking number. When you think about Christopher Morrell's journey through the minors, he's young, he's athletic, he's exciting. He hits, he's hit some monster homers. I mean, we were at the ball game, Ronan, he yeah. hit a monster blast. And so who knows what the, I mean, this guy's really talented. If he can develop this guy's, I feel like the sky's a limit for him. So I, I just think that I'm, I'm still skeptical of him in general and guys developing their plate approach and everything, but Hey, so far he's done it. And so you keep throwing him out there to keep seeing if he can improve. What he is, he's toolsy is what he is. And that's something I think we're all a little traumatized from hearing during the Jim Hendry years, as they kept drafting player after player who Hendry would call toolsy. But that's what he is, is he's toolsy. He runs fast, he hits the ball hard, and he hits it a long way. He's got a cannon arm. We saw him make some great throws from center field to get outs at the plate, which is fantastic. And this is a great tweet from Sarah Langs at Slangs on Sports from yesterday. There are five players in MLB in the 90th percentile or higher in both barrel rate and sprint speed. So the extent to which they hit the ball hard and the speed at which they run. And those five players are Mike Trout, Julio Rodriguez, Jazz Chisholm Jr., Byron Buxton, and Christopher Morrell. So that's certainly not the the end-all be-all statistically, but that's good company to be in as far as how hard you hit the ball and the extent to which you're able to barrel up the ball and the speed at which you run. He's loud, he's toolsy, he has all the physical attributes. Like Jeremy said, it's a matter of how he develops, and that's something potentially exciting to watch going forward. Yeah, I mean, it shows that company, as you say, all athletic, you know, five-tool guys you would consider. So he has the ability to be that. I mean, I don't know if he will, if he will develop into that, but I, I'm not willing to put a ceiling on him or a limit. Like, you know, with this team as it is, you got to play him every day. You got to see improve. And he's already struggled somewhat and he's come back from, he's come back from that and has adjusted. So it's nice to see him making these adjustments as it's going on. So, Hey, maybe the Cubs found a guy who's 
you know, they didn't think they had. I mean, they knew he was toolsy, but they didn't think, okay, he's going to be this on the major league level. And so that would be nice to kind of fall into a guy like that. Yeah. And, and you just want the young guys that you figure may be around, right? Because even like the Patrick Wisdom, all those rookie home runs last year, but you're looking at the guy going, man, he's 30. Like, what, you know, like this guy isn't going to be a big part of the future of this organization. Morell, maybe. Uh, Suzuki should be. At least the game plan is he's going to be a very big part of the organization moving forward. But uh, making the Cubs fun again, that is good. And that's entertaining to see because there have been some dark stretches here of Cubs baseball. And, you know, Wrigley Field isn't rocking like it used to. Yeah, they're drawing all right, especially for a team that's pretty awful. But I want Wrigley Field to be back consistently over 40,000 people like we saw this weekend when the Sox were in town. I would say that Saturday night game, I wasn't there. But the, the vibe I got from the television against the Red Sox, that, that seemed like that was a pretty rocking game. That looked, And I was just thinking, like, there's not many teams, not many places that are 15 games under 500. I know it's July 4th weekend. I know it's Saturday night. I know it's the Boston Red Sox. But not many places are going to have that vibe at 15 games under 500. And I the, the, vibes, the vibes coming through the television were immaculate. And I, I kind of hate that someone in the Cubs department, marketing department is probably sitting there smirking at it's different here uh, as, as they see that come through. But yeah, the, the vibes coming through the television were immaculate. And somehow Mr. Winkowski didn't feel that at all. No, <laughs> Maybe it's because he got hammered that day on the mound. And even our boy Randall, he's getting, getting quoted by uh, the NBC Sportsnet. If, if I lost to the 2022 Chicago Cubs, I would simply not pop off about their ballpark after the game, but I guess I'm built different. Oh. We've it's been positive there in yes. Morton Grove. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, good to see Wrigley rocking a bit. Uh, and you just want to see more of that. Uh, Jeremy, you and I had a great time out at that ball game. Nice to see the Cubs beat up on the Reds, but you know, it wasn't the packed Wrigley field. It wasn't uh totally engrossed crowd, but still uh, park looks awesome. The organ sounds great. Uh, the drinks are expensive as hell, but it's very fun <laughs> to be out at Wrigley Field. We'll get to that in a minute. I, I wanna, I'm going to be kind of sour for a moment. We've been all positive up to this point. And I want to be clear here. I'm Don't read into what I'm saying here too much. The sample size still isn't 10 games, so I'm not writing the guy off or anything. I just want to observe Ugh, rough start for David Bodie coming back from the injured list here, striking out a ton. I mean, he's got a lot of time, like I said, to get this figured out. But I was kind of hoping he'd come back with a bang. And unfortunately, that's not been his start through about 25 plate appearances at this point. Yeah, and it's kind of almost, you know, a make it or, or you know, kind of time period for him. Uh, he has the contract. But, you know, the Cubs have some middle infielders now. I mean, Nico Horner has been the guy we want Nico Horner to be, and he's been healthy for the most part. And we know we don't know what we have in Madrigal. So there's some, you know, some options there there that David Bodie's got to kind of produce. And so uh, I've always been a fan of his because he hits the ball hard. But we'll see. He's had some freak injuries, and I, this is a really big second half of the season for him, I feel like. Yeah. And, you know, he is under contract through 24 with extensions that can push that back to 26. He's 29 years old. So you're locking into what I was trying to get at there, Jeremy. Um, we're on the same page in that I'm not overreacting to eight games. It's just he doesn't have a long leash anymore. And you need at some point here for those engines to click if he's going to be a part of this. The other part of it that's okay is it's like it's not like he's owed a lot of money. And it's not like the Cubs have a ton of money on the books the next couple of years anyway. So 
if they got to a point that they said, you know what, this really isn't working out, it's not going to sink the ship to move on. I just want him to be a part of the Cubs moving forward far more than just that grand slam. He crushes the ball when he hits it. He just needs to start hitting it a little bit more. And that's what the second half of this year is going to award him the opportunity to do. Let's see what you've got in David Bodie. And then maybe you reconsider looking into next year, at least give him this year to try to figure out if there is anything there. Mm-hmm. And that's what yeah. the second half is going to be for like a, a lot of this season. Yeah. I mean, we're going to see some trades who knows who goes, um, you know, Rafael Ortega, I feel like now is kind of a guy who could be moved. He could hit right-handed pitching. Um, so we're going to see all over the place. And so guys like David Bodie and some other guys like to try to figure out, are they in the plans for the future? That's really going to be this, what we're going to see in August and September. And, you know, as, as you said, I'm, I totally agree with you. It's, it's Bodie's time right now. He has to yeah. kind of show it. He has to prove it. And we'll see. I mean, he's not, I mean, they locked him in for pretty cheap. So as you say, they can move on from him pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to talk about a guy who's not on the Cubs. We had two more home runs today. Kyle Schwarber, man, 27 home runs now at this point on the year. I miss him. Hoosier, all that good stuff. But to think the Cubs DFA'd him, I'm sorry. Uh, they non-tendered, non-tendered him. him right. uh, a long day boys. Yeah that they non-tendered him over a couple million dollars being the difference in potentially that bat in a league with the designated hitter. Oh, that one burns. And I'm generally pro Jed Hoyer. And I do think that that ultimately came down from ridiculous payroll constraints that were put on the Cubs, but this hurts. And Schwarber appears to have figured it out. 27 home runs. He may have 30 or more at the all-star break. That's impressive. It's impressive. He's obviously the best hitter in June baseball history. I mean, might even be better than Sammy. We'll see. Uh, but, uh, you know, well, I, I will say when they non-tendered him, there was no DH at the time. I don't I think. But we knew know, it was coming. You know, in the future, but we had no idea. Whatever. But uh, still, um, you're right. You're right. Because it was after the 2020 season. So we did know that the thing was coming. But um, it, it uh, I don't know. We'll see where it is. I'm still skeptical of him being in the outfield, whether or not. I know he's a DH, but his total value but yeah it's nice to see a guy like him perform pretty well yeah. uh you know even i i root for all these guys i wanted chris bryant his first home run yesterday so i root couldn't, for all these guys couldn't be happier for him good good yeah. for chris yeah at dodger stadium too a place tough to hit at at night uh who had chris bryant hitting his first home run after july 4th I mean, it's insane. Yeah, you, you certainly wouldn't have put money on that. And certainly some people probably did put money on that, but you certainly would not have put money on that. And yet, yet that's a, that's how his season has gone with some injury and some ineffectiveness. But good for him. He, he's on the train now. And we know Chris is a pretty good hitter. We know Coors is a great ballpark to hit. I think as long as he stays healthy, the numbers will probably still look pretty good for him by season's end. And he has another, what, six years left on that contract to uh, make them continue to look better. So good for Chris. Yeah, and uh, uh, Rockies playing uh, pretty awful baseball right now. Uh, just one win better than the Cubs at this juncture. Uh, but you look at the top of the National League Central, the Cubs beat up a bit on Milwaukee this week. They've lost two in a row. The Cardinals have lost four in a row. They are four over, three games back now. And uh, it's an awful division, right? Like Milwaukee's probably going to walk away with this, and they've got plenty of good pitching. But this is a division that it just – makes you think maybe the Cubs spend a little more money. I mean, I, I don't know what I'm getting at here. I'm just saying this is a bad division with three awful teams, a mediocre team that's above 500, maybe in part because of the division they're playing in in St. Louis, and then a Brewers team that 
this awful Cubs team slapped around a little bit. Weird division. This, this awful Cubs team is leading the season series against this awful Brewers yeah, you're team. Right. And again, if not for some slightly better, if not for some bad luck, if you know, little, little better bounces, they would be leading that season series by even more. My, my new favorite word this season is unserious. The NL Central is an unserious division, and the teams atop that division are unserious teams. One of them is going to have to win out just because you can't have nobody win a division. Uh, I don't remember what year it was, but the 500 Padres won the NL West that one season. This is an unserious division. And honestly, that, that's an even more damning indictment of the Cubs, that this division is yeah. as terrible as it is, and the Cubs couldn't put together the resources or didn't want to put together the resources to have a team that might have been able to fluke their way to winning this awful division. So it, it's it's not aesthetically pleasing baseball. It's not a great division. And in its own way, it's an even more damning indictment of the Cubs. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that, Randall. Uh, there's a lot of holes with this Cubs team, and I don't think a couple of free agent signings would have necessarily fixed it. But to punt a division like this, maybe even next year too, if they're getting rid of Wilson and Ian and a couple other guys here in the next month, it's inexcusable. And as excited as I am for 2024 and 2025 and what's coming in the minors, big league seasons matter. And they got to spend a ton of money this winter is what I'm getting at here. They need to try and be competitive in a winnable division as early as next year, even if they don't think that real window is going to be opening up until 2024, 2025, because it's tough. Cardinals are not a very good team, and they're right in the middle of a playoff race, in part because they get to play the Reds and the Pirates 40 times a year. Uh, yeah, I'm with you on, uh, I, I, you know, we all want to see the Cubs compete. I, I, I think this team does have a lot of holes. I don't think a few free agents, even top-end free agents, we're going to make this a really a super competitive team. And unfortunately, you know, the Cubs' big free agents they, this offseason were Stroman and and Miley and Suzuki, and they've all missed a ton of time. So it's even hard to kind of judge what yeah. the Cubs' moves did and how that would have impacted this season. But uh yeah, you know, I, I I think the Brewers are a decent team. They have pretty good pitching, but uh, it's not the best division of baseball. I agree with you guys. And so uh, I think the thought was maybe they could fluke in, and uh, the Cubs have been hit with a lot of injuries, and this team's kind of not been playing super well. But, um, yeah, I would like to see, you know, next year then be a little bit more aggressive. Who knows? They're going to have another shot at Carlos Correa, probably another shot at Trey Turner, or a shot at Trey Turner guys like that in the off season. So maybe the Cubs can make one of those big splashes. Totally. Totally. And it's funny. We, we saw the report. Well, when the Cubs are playing the Yankees or so that uh, judge would not consider the Cubs because they're not competitive. Then we got the quote this week that Correa didn't want to go to a rebuilding team. Um, sure. But whoever pays them the most is where these guys are going to go. And uh, the Cubs have a lot of resources. So if they want to be in the mix for a judge, or a Correa, or any number of players that are going to be available in the next year or two, it doesn't matter that the team sucks this year. It doesn't matter that they sucked last year. The Cubs will very much be in the middle of it, assuming they open up the checkbook. And, hey, Crane Kenny said last week, money's rolling over to next year. Payroll better be very high if, uh, if we are to believe anything that's being you know coming out from the business side of the organization. You need to have that money available because that is what takes you from not being very good 
on the path of being competitive. The 2014 Cubs were not very good. They were interesting because you had a lot of players coming up and then they ponied up for John Lester. And that's the signal that you are ready to spend money. You are ready to compete again. A year later, they signed Jason Hayward, which, you know, we can talk all day about, and I'm sure we will. I suspect we will talk all day about it at some point this season. But the point is they spent the money to uh, sign a very prized free agent that off season. And that is what you need to do. When you feel you have your core in place, that's when you need to drop the money and you need to bring in the high priced free agents that are going to take you to that next level. And that's what the Cubs need to do this off season. If they are serious about competing in 2023. And I understand there's a, a lot of differing opinions, whether they actually intend to compete next year, but if that is the intention, that's what you need to do. You need to open up the checkbook and you need to bring in one of those great players on a big free agent contract. And that pushes you that much further. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I see when you're saying those things, I mean, the Cubs are not anywhere in the same place as 2014, unfortunately. Like, they don't have the core in place. Like, John Lester was the finishing piece on that, uh, and that's why they opened the checkbook and put him there. The core was there. You know, you had Baez, you had Bryant coming up, you had Rizzo, you had, at the time, Castro and Russell, and these guys were all right there. They were all up in April of 2014, or excuse me, 2016, or 15, excuse me, we're talking about 2015, April of 2015. So, like, that's the only thing. Like, I agree with you. I think they need to spend money. I would want them to put to the place, but spending money is not going to make the Cubs a good baseball team. They need to no. also, they need to, that they're not going to make them a competitive baseball team. They need to build this core. And then that's the addition on, on top that makes them, that puts them over the top. Yeah. But I mostly agree with that. But Jed Hoyer, I thought had an awful quote in the last two weeks or so. And he said, you know, the money will be there when the time is right to be aggressive again. And yes, there's obviously truth to that, what you're talking about, Lester. Go spend a ton of money on that finishing touch. But you are the Chicago Cubs. Why don't you spend money on getting better quicker? I'm not saying they need to win the pennant next year, but they cannot put out a $150 million payroll and a 90-loss team again next season. Go out and spend money on two guys. Next year is a gap year, right? But I don't like Hoyer going and saying that, I know what he's trying to say. I don't think he's as media savvy as Theo was, but to say the money will be there when the time is right, spend money now so you are better sooner and then spend more money because the money is there to put you over the top. That's what I want to see them do here. Uh, there's not going to be any quick solutions to the team for next year, but they have to be aggressive. They have to go out and get some big time players that will be around, even if next year's only a 500 team. That's progress. You don't have to just be a 90-loss team and then go out and spend money when you're ready to be a 100-win team. Get better for next year, and that will require opening up the checkbook. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it does. I, I, yeah. Mostly, I mostly agree with you. Um, I, I, I don't necessarily think that, like, you know, one thing Theo always said was, like, like progress isn't lin oh, always linear. Like, it doesn't mean, like, you know, we're going to be 60 wins next year, 67 wins next year, 74 wins, you know, the year after that. Like, it's all going to come – like the 2014 Cubs went to the 2015 Cubs. Um, I agree. With, yeah. I mostly agree with you that they should spend. It's just that I, I remember when the Mariners signed Robinson Cano and they had Jed Hoyer on MLB network and they interviewed him at that time. And he basically said, we hope to be in the position of the Seattle Mariners in a couple of years. We don't like, we're not going out to sign big free agents now because we want to build a core in place. And then we add that. And I just feel like, that's what the Cubs are going to do. That's their plan. I mean, yeah, they should sign some, like Carlos Correa, 27 years old, sign long-term. I agree with that, 100%. It's just like, 
that's not what's going to make them the team though. They're planning yeah. on building it up and that's, yeah, of I course. guess that's what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah, totally. And and you need that strong foundation. You need player development. And I think what's exciting about this rebuild compared to a decade ago, and they're very, very different rebuilds, very different circumstances around the organization is there's pitching involved this time. And that's kind of fun. There's a lot of exciting hitters and Randall's going to get to some of them, including a guy going to LA in a couple of weeks, but there's pitching involved with this this rebuild too, and that's really cool. And that's something that I think we're all excited about because, you know, the approach was different. They loaded up on mashers, and then they went out and spent money on the pitching, and that obviously was successful. But there were no reinforcements coming on the pitching side outside of free agency. So that's kind of cool about it this time around. Uh, Cubs are playing good ball, though, and, and I think that's the important thing. They're winning multiple series in a row, and now they're going to the top team in the National League. Four games in Los Angeles at Chavez Ravine, uh, night games until Sunday, then a day off. And the Cubs have Baltimore coming in for a quick, uh, quick two-game stand, and then the Mets in for a four-game stand. And that gets us to the All-Star break. So that's really where we're at at this juncture. Uh, Randall, weather. Talk about Los Angeles. I assume, what, 85 and sunny? Big 10 city, day? Los Angeles. That's big right, ten big city, ten city LA, a, yeah. a two school big ten city. Well, it's time for everyone's favorite part of the podcast where we are fortunate enough to have weather provided to us by Alexander Hall of Cubs Weather. As always, find him on Twitter at Alexander Hall. Find them on Twitter at Cubs Weather. Alexander describes the series vibe for the series in LA uh, first by welcoming us back. He does say, Welcome back, BTYL. Thank you, Alex. And he calls it the quintessential pre summer furnace Los Angeles. You would much rather visit LA in early July versus late July. The whole series will be comfortable with crystal clear SoCal skies pierced by the largest subwoofers in any MLB park, um, guessing from experience. And I'm quoting Alex here. He's probably not off the mark here. It is very loud at Dodger Stadium. So Thursday night is a 9-10 central time start. 73 degrees clear with a light wind 10 miles per hour out to center field Friday night also a 910 central time central time start similar temperatures similar breeze slightly stronger 10 to 20 miles per hour out to center field nearly an identical forecast for Saturday night around 73 winds 10 to 20 out to center field. And then finally, the Sunday day game, a 310 central time start, 85 degrees clear with, again, that 15 to 20 miles per hour wind out to center field. And then Ronan, as you said, the Cubs come back to beautiful Wrigley Field, sometimes a concert venue, sometimes a ballpark. And the series vibe is not bad. Tuesday night is a 7.05 local time start, 77 degrees with a slight chance for a shower or a thunderstorm and a hint of mugginess with a wind out to right field at 10 miles per hour. And then finally, the conclusion, the middle game and the conclusion of that brief two game series against the Orioles Wednesday night, 7.05 start again. It is a barbecue tool belt giveaway which Alexander can't really imagine what that means, but he's intrigued, as am I. Temperature about 73 degrees, partly cloudy, with the humidity being a pinch more comfortable and a light crosswind out to right field. So there's your forecast for four games in LA, two games against the Orioles back here at Wrigley. As always, we thank Alexander at Co and Cubs Weather for their contributions to the podcast on a weekly basis. Again, find those two individual, one individual and his account on Twitter, at Alexander Hall and at Cubs weather. Ronnie, you got your mute on. That's, isn't that great? Yeah. It's like I'm in a meeting at work and I start talking. And they're like, Ronan, come on, take yourself off mute. The reason why I'm on mute, I want you guys to leave that in there. I was finishing a hot dog 
that I was uh, eating here to my left that I wasn't able to finish before the show. And I would like to note, it came on a poppy seed bun that I took on a plane from Chicago to Denver Tuesday morning, and really? that hot dog was delicious. Of course. Oh, yeah. Is that, I wonder if that technically counts as contraband. And that reminds me of a, a conversation between Pat Hughes and the late great Ron Santo, wherein Ron Santo was audibly eating a hot dog on air and he's munching on it. And he says to Pat, oh, I'm just eating a hot dog. And Pat in that perfect deadpan of his goes, you know, Ron, I could barely I could barely tell. You know, you got me thinking, Randall, did you hear the pun that uh, Pat Hughes had in Milwaukee? The last, I, did. I think it was last night, maybe. Um, so there have been kind of nasty weather. This all goes back into Cubs weather and a point I want to get to in a minute. But weather was pretty bad. They had The roof closed in Milwaukee is my understanding. But they got those panels in the outfield that also open and close. They do. And at some point during the game, or maybe it was – it must have been during the game because it was caught on the broadcast. They had maintenance workers closing the panels because of severe weather in the area. And uh, uh, Pat turned and said, boy, that job sure looks like a pain. And I thought Randall. That's a Randall joke. Nobody does it better than Pat Hughes. Yeah. Well, let's talk weather for a minute here. I was in Chicago uh, June 24 until July 5th. Great trip. Good to see both of you guys. Uh, the whole time, I'm going, I need a storm. I need a Midwest storm. I need it to, to get a big-time show. was up in Wisconsin for a couple of days leading up to the 4th of July and noticed that while it's much greener than Colorado, it wasn't the typical green up there. The parking lots up at Alpine – kind of yellow, you know, grass dying and all that from, or going into uh, hibernation, whatever they call it, when it's too hot, they don't get enough moisture. It's called a drought. Monday night, Randall, we got ourselves a storm in the Chicagoland area. We did. And uh, I was tracking it all day, driving down from Wisconsin. It's like, okay, got to figure out what's going on here. Had to uh, take our buddy and former guest on the pod, Kern, back to Union Station so he could take the train out of town. And I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting. And we had a sort of a one little storm roll through around maybe six or five or something. And then at night, it hit. It and went. that was everything that I was waiting for. And if, if you're not local in Chicago, hop on Twitter, type in Barry Butler's name. He got incredible shots of the skyline downtown being lit up. Randall, that was that was a big league storm that rolled through Monday night. We've had a couple of storms through here recently, and it was like a strobe light going yes. off outside my window. It was like somebody was setting off a strobe light and the room was just flashing on and off for the better part of a half hour, an hour. Those yeah. were, as you said, some major league storms. Those were not double-A storms. That was not a triple-A storm. That was an MLB thunderstorm that came through the other night. Yeah, I was just so cool. And I was uh, lying in bed, and looking up and around the window, like the outline of the window, it was just flash, 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 flash. And that's the best way to fall asleep as far as I'm concerned. You got rain hitting the building. You got those flashes of lightning. No threat of tornadoes or anything like that. Nope. But just a real Midwest thunderstorm. And I felt so satisfied because the whole time at home, I'm like, not getting it. I'm not getting the storm. I'm not getting the storm. And I got sent off with a bang. Now, Ronan, speaking of getting sent off with a bang and things you can only get in Chicago. I understand while you were here, you were fortunate enough to take in a concert at yeah. Wrigley. I know you had a fun time there and I know you had a, uh, an experience maybe with um, the alcohol policy yeah. outside that I know you wanted to get into with us, that the floor is yours. Well, w I just want to say, yes, I, I had an interesting week cause I got a, a concert Saturday at Wrigley dead and company. It was great. And then Jeremy and I had the ball game a couple days later. So I got the, the double whammy there, the concert and the ball game, making up for lost time, basically. But something that surprised me is before the uh, Saturday night concert, we uh, hit some of the bars and things, which was fun. 
we went into Gallagher Way because they had a concert going on at the time. And to get into Gallagher Way, I had to show my ticket to the concert and walk through. They were, they were like metal detecting people or they were sure. scanning people. So I'm in there and uh, bought myself uh, Jeremy's favorite, the old uh, you know, Jack and Pepsi at Wrigley Field. Solid drink. Brother got a beer. And we had, I don't know, half of it or so. You don't want to chug that. Getting ready to walk in from, what's it called? Uh, Gallagher Way Gallagher into Way. Wrigley Field. And we walked up to the gate. And the usher said, oh, you can't bring drinks in here. And I'm like, wait, wait, hold on. I'm already in here, right? Like I've been scanned. I bought the drink at Wrigley Field. Why can I not bring it into Wrigley Field, right? It's not like I was out in front of the uh, marquee in front of the ballpark. I'd already gone through security to get into Gallagher Way. I paid for an expensive drink. Wouldn't let you bring it into the ballpark. So brought it in anyway. Uh, usher basically said, you can hang out here and drink it and then go in when you're ready. Uh, as soon as he turned around, I just, walked right in and that was fine. I'm not giving Tom Ricketts any more money, but that's insane to me. That is an insane policy. It's like, it's, it, is it any different than like <laughs> you got a beer in the upper deck and you try to walk down to the lower deck and they say, oh, can't bring drinks down here. It's crazy. Yeah, All right, I'm alone. I'm alone. I don't, I don't think you're alone. I don't spend a whole lot of time buying alcohol at Wrigley. Uh, much less in Gallagher, but I agree that's that's insane. It is it sh- should be treated as all one complex, and th- there's just no reason to stop people from bringing the drinks they bought at Gallagher Way into the ballpark proper, whether that's for a ball game or for a concert. It- it's all one. It's all one business. The money's all going to the same place. I agree with you completely. That's a bizarre policy at best, and it's I think just one more idiosyncrasy of the Cubs building this kind of theme park environment around Wrigley Field is you get you get things like this. So I agree with you that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, I agree. I just don't I, I I have no real familiarity with Gallagher Way, even though I've been going to games there. I just never go over there in terms of before the game, really. And so I don't even know, like what the in and out policy of that is like going in and out of during a game. I have no idea. Yeah, well, I've no interest in leaving a ball game, you know, to hang out there and watch it on the video board. I'm not in a situation where there's young kids or something that they got out some energy on that lawn. It's just like this is a Wrigley Field beer garden that you've got to pass through security to get into. And then you can't bring drinks from that into the ballpark. Well, you can. You just tell the usher to turn around and you <laughs> kind of run in. But the funny thing is, too, in the set breaks, they do separate, they do sets at uh, dead shows. Uh, I ran into that usher. We made eye contact and he didn't say anything to me. So kind of let it go. There were a lot fish of to fry. Randall, I'll tell you, um, and it's not the Grateful Dead, of course, it's Dead and Company, a couple of the surviving members of the Grateful Dead, John Mayer, uh, among others, up on that stage. The characters dancing on the field at Wrigley Field. Randall, I wanted you to see it. I wanted you to be a part of it. It's like nothing you've ever seen at Wrigley Field before. The spinners, the shirtless people with tie-dye hats and pants on, spinning aggressively in circles for a four-hour concert. It's a scene, Randall. We got to get you out. Uh, yeah, uh, we've seen some characters on the field at Wrigley Field. I imagine the dead and company crowd would probably put all of them to shame a thousand times over. Do you feed the wooks out there? Uh, you know, I was disappointed Wrigley didn't have grilled cheese sandwiches like uh, they had at uh, Folsom Field the week before uh, seeing them up there. But it was definitely uh, a unique scene out on the ballpark. There's some very funny YouTube videos. If you just type in, uh, you know, Dead and Company crowd, Wrigley Field 2022. Uh, Good times, though. And I thought about you, Randall, at the start of the second set. They opened with uh, Casey Jones. 
And I was reminded about a month ago, I was talking about the dead and I asked you about Casey Jones and you're like, oh, the guy the, from the, uh, the... The Teenage Mutant Ninja yeah. Turtles character. You, <laughs> Not you exactly. And I, you and I think of different things, Ronan. Yeah. I admit this and we acknowledge this. Yeah. I, I was talking about the uh, conductor uh, riding that train, but really good times there. And a couple days later, Jeremy, you and I had a great time among others. Mike Vanderharst, Mike TV out at the ballpark. <laughs> so much fun. And we got a good one. The Cubs beat the Reds that night, a couple of home runs. And uh, Pride Night at Wrigley Field as well. It was the first time I was a part of that event at Wrigley Field. I uh, was a little bit disappointed, though, we didn't get the hats. We just had normal tickets, went in. Everybody around us seemingly had those hats, though. And it was a festive environment, though, and the Cubs win. Yes, we did not buy through the special offer to get the hats. Uh, no. Yeah, it would have been nice to have the hat. I know it would have been great. But I will say, you know, the Fukudome jerseys were out there that night. Yes. So we saw some of those. I'm glad you brought that up. So I had my Chinichi Dragons Fukudome jersey on. There was a guy, what, five rows or so in front of us. I sat down. Number one, it had the script, Randall. Yeah, uh, the katakana. Yes, katakana. The katakana the of either Kosuke or Fukudome, Fukudome. Uh, on the back. And I saw that and I went, respect. And then there was this older woman, maybe in her 70s, who was walking past me and I was screaming at her. because She had a Fukudome Cubs gray jersey on. She didn't hear me. I kind of you know, broke my heart a little bit. Two innings later, I get a tap on the shoulder. That woman came back to, to come and say hi to me and show me her jersey. It was awesome. And then also, uh, leaving the ballpark that night, there was a Japanese fan, an older Japanese fan, who looked at me, pointed, was all excited. We exchanged uh, pleasantries. The Fukudome jersey is a conversation starter, and I'm keeping that thing forever because everybody loves it when they see the Fukudome. That's the purchase. It's the gift that keeps on giving to you. That that blue Shinichi Dragons Kosuke Fukudome jersey you got for what thirty dollars yeah. off eBay. eBay. The purchase that's going to last you a lifetime. Yeah, good times though, and uh, just awesome to be back in Wrigley Field. Beautiful sunset that night. I mean, I've been bitching about Dick Montfort's prices for drinks and things at Coors. I had a season's worth of partying that I needed to get into that ball game the other night. But holy cow, Wrigley Field! Uh, it's just. Times have changed, and uh, it's an expensive night out. And speaking of Montfort, you got your uh, free sunscreen. And, yes, you brought that up. Great point. There are free sunscreen kiosks at Wrigley Field, something I've been uh, very angry with the Rockies for not offering. Wrigley Field has way more protection from the sun than Coors Field does. But, uh, yeah, you know, that's a nice move there from Ricketts. I think I don't see it being as any different than offering free water in the ballpark, which is also kind of common sense. But really good stuff there. Um, I was thinking, can I swing another game this year? I already got a trip planned back to Chicago in October. So I don't <laughs> think another Cubs game is happening this year. No, but uh, it was fun. And it was it was very satisfying to see a win, to send go Cubs go, to see that W flag go up. Uh, just really, really good times. And I'm hoping the next time I'm there, team's a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, you can't beat that window. And uh, we got to see yeah. the, the Wintrust W flash at the yeah. end of the game. So you know it was all good. And I, one other thing I want to say on that front was uh, I did think in the ballpark is probably the last time I'll ever see Wilson Contreras as a Chicago Cub. And that kind of broke my heart a little bit as Randall rolls his eyes at me. You think about these things when you don't get opportunities to go out to the ballpark as much as you used to. And I was thinking about Ian Happ and a couple other guys going, this may be the last time I ever see them in Cubs pinstripes at Wrigley Field and what great memories they've 
left with me the last couple of years. So we'll see. Who knows what's coming in the next month or so. Had a great but, game. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, man, Wilson's so much fun to watch. So ah, we'll get back to that in a couple of weeks here as we get closer to the trade deadline. I've got one other point on the trade deadline that I did want to bring up. Jeremy, we talked about this a little bit at the ballpark, but something that complicates the trade deadline this year. One, it's not July 31st, but it's August 2nd. Uh, they got the late start to the season, all that. But the draft is also late this year. They have that coinciding with the All-Star break. The All-Star break a little bit later, uh, July 19, is when that's happening. So that makes me think, Jeremy, trades are either going to happen before the All-Star break or there's going to be a huge influx after the draft because that stretch of the draft, you got to imagine resources in the front office are going to be heavily focused on the draft. And if you remember, historically, the draft was in June. You dealt with that. You had a month and you prepared for the trade deadline. I'm just interested to see the wrinkle that that adds this year as we get close to August 2nd. Yeah, it did happen last year because uh, the draft was, that was the first year the draft was at the All-Star game. And I remember last year they were, front office execs were complaining about it. They said, it's too difficult for us. You know, we have, we have to focus. So I, I think it's all going to happen after the draft. I don't think much is going to happen. Like we're not going to see that Theo pulling off those moves with Quintana and, and uh, Samarja early on in the year. I, I think it's going to happen after because uh, it, it like it kind of happened last year. So I, I agree with you. It's a huge it's a huge part of this. As Jeremy said, that was the chatter from front offices last season is that they had trouble focusing on the trade deadline until after the draft and the draft being so late really mucks that up for you. You know, the, the best front offices can uh, walk and chew gum at the same time, but you're still devoting a lot of resources to this draft where you're intent on, you know, replenishing your minor league system with the best players you can coming out of high school, coming out of college. And that takes up a lot of resources. And again, that was the chatter from front office last year is that they had trouble focusing on the trade deadline until after the draft. So like you said, and like Jeremy said, it will be interesting to see the ramifications of that with the later trade deadline and with the later draft this year to see how the front offices kind of split that focus going into the, I'd say, two of the most important dates in the middle of the season. It's 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 kind of so I mean the college coaches hated it when it was like early June absolutely hated it It was before it was like during regionals and super regionals and it was awful and and really MLB has no reason to to do anything for the sake of college baseball coaches you know like that's not who they're planning on but uh, so they moved it back they did move it back and they were trying to make it part of the all-star game experience but I don't think anybody really paid attention more last year because it was no. part of the all-star game in Denver. Like you didn't go, you went to all the all-star game yeah. festivities out. So I don't know. In 2020, it was supposed to be in Omaha to coincide with the college world series, which would have been interesting though. I'm sure the college coaches would have hated that. And of course that didn't happen because of, um, uh, you know, COVID obviously. So yeah, it's tough. Cause I'm, I think the draft is going to come first. Cause that's the earlier, I mean, it's obviously going to come first, uh, in terms of, you know, a date, but I think in priority right now, because that's the earlier time, the Cubs are picking seventh uh, this year in the draft. So I think that's going to be the big focus. And then, you know, and then it's going to be like kind of after that, after, you know, you're going to have two weeks to really put all your trades together. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I like that major league baseball is thinking about events that may grow the game or events that may increase interest in this. Uh, obviously the all-star game was in Denver last year. There were COVID restrictions still in place with regards to things like the draft, but not one per, I mean, I shouldn't say not one person, the percentage of people in Denver, either visiting or who live here, who had an interest in the all-star game, the futures game, the home run derby, the celebrity thing that had an interest in that draft, very, very low. 
I mean, very, very low. I was sort of interested in potentially going to the draft. There were a lot of hoops you had to jump through, primarily because of COVID protocols. But I was watching it, and it wasn't all that exciting, right? It's not like the NFL draft where guys are going to impact teams next season or the NBA draft where that guy may be a starting guard for your team next year. Some of these guys are four-plus years away from ever getting to the major leagues. So I think Major League Baseball does need to revisit this. Does it make sense to shoehorn into the All-Star game, or does that – really not make sense. And um, it shouldn't really be around the College World Series either because people that are in Omaha aren't there for a draft. They're there for those baseball games. So I don't know that it's either of these, but it seems like pushing it this close to the trade deadline is odd. Um, Do we like the trade deadline generally being the end of July? Moving forward, do you go, that is the right time for Major League Baseball to have a trade deadline? Or do either of you think that should be changed? I'm good with it on July 31st or if it can't be on that exact date for whatever reason, maybe that's a Sunday, maybe whatever happens. I'm good with it being July 31st because teams who make their moves, it gives you two months, especially with the non-waiver trade or with the waiver trade deadline no longer being a thing. You can't do waiver trades anymore. I think it gives the teams two months to put those pieces together and make their run. I'm good with that being full, two full months. I think the later it goes, the less... I don't know, the less opportunity you have to add to your team because the later into the season you get, the less apt you are to give up resources for pieces that you may only have on your team for a month and a half. I'm good with it being right at the end of July. That gives you two full months to put that team together and, and make your run towards the postseason. I, I think I think it, obviously it works as it is now. I, I would be interested to see what it'd be like if it were earlier. Like what if it was July 1st? Like all these yeah. teams would have had to make a decision by now. Uh, it would have pressured everybody like, you know, was a team like the White Sox going to do if it was like July 1st? Like, you know, um, so I think that would have been interesting. Uh, it's it's one thing we didn't we haven't talked about yet is the fact that the playoffs have expanded even more so. So now you have more teams that are probably are they buyers? Are they sellers? Like in just kind of this weird. So I, I'm, I'm kind of interested how the trade deadline is going to play out when who knows, like, are, if there's more buyers and very few sellers, I mean, that will obviously probably be good for the Cubs uh, this season, but because that can, like, make trades more rare, more scarce. So I don't know. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see when we have 12 playoff teams how this is going to work out this season. So maybe, I don't know, I, I would, I'm kind of curious how it would work if it was a month sooner. Yeah. That, that's really interesting, Jeremy. And just looking at the National League standings right now, you got the three division leaders, of course, but including them, you've got nine teams right now within three games of at least a wild card or leading their division or in a wild card spot. So you're talking about more than half of the league is right there. And that nine team, the Miami Marlins, 39 and 41 in that really difficult East division, they're staying alive in this playoff picture. So uh, I think the hope with playoff expansion beyond increased revenue was theoretically more teams would be interested in buying, adding in things like a draft lottery should theoretically de-incentivize tanking doesn't always necessarily work out that way, but it's something we've never seen before. And it is something we're going to get to see play out over the next month. And then in future seasons as other teams develop their strategies on trying to be competitive. We know this, you don't have to be the best team to win the World Series. You don't have to be the best team in the playoffs. You just got to get in. And, I mean, think about Atlanta last year. Atlanta was like under 500 for like 120 games last year. And they they got hot at the right time. They put it together. They made it happen. They win a World Series championship. 
So I mean, when they traded for Jock, the Cubs had a better record. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, it it just it was a it just it was such a typical baseball thing for that to occur, and uh, that's sort of the nature of short series in October. Anything can happen, and um, even this week, right? Short series in Milwaukee. Milwaukee's a better team than the Cubs right now. Cubs took two out of three. Made it happen. So uh, interesting there. That's something that we'll be monitoring here. Uh, another thing we've been thinking about, prospects. Randall's got his prospect corner here. He's got a promising pitcher. He's got a promising hitter. He's going to tell you about them. But I want you to start with the big news potentially involving L.A. Futures game last year, Brendan Davis, MVP with two home runs. Which Cubs center fielder are we thinking is going to L.A.? Well, the news came out today from Mark Gonzalez, the former Cubs beat reporter for the Tribune. Now he's more of a a freelancer filling in here and there. But he did uh, break the ostensible news today that Pete Crow Armstrong will be one of the individuals to represent the Cubs at the Futures game uh, in L.A. If you are not familiar with the Futures game, it is a minor league wide all-star game. Generally, each team is able to send at least one prospect to this game. And it's a, it's a showcase game. It's a, it's a showcase for the, the best prospects, prospect or prospects in an organization. Um, they've done it by NLAL before. They've done it by USA World before. Um, so it's always a good time. You see a lot of the top prospects from across the entire uh, gamut of major league organizations. And it's a, it's a really interesting watch, especially if you are someone who follows the minor leagues. So it is not official yet. I imagine the futures game roster, um, it takes them a little bit of time to finalize it, get guys there, make sure everyone is healthy, able to participate. But supposedly uh, Cub center fielder playing at South Bend high a Pete Crow Armstrong, who we've talked about on the show before a number of times, supposedly will be one of the individuals representing the Chicago Cubs organization at the Futures game in LA. You know, and I'll say I went to the Futures game last year when it was in Denver and Brendan Davis had that big event. If you are a baseball fan and you happen to be in the area of an all-star game, home run derby is very expensive. The game itself, obviously very expensive. Go to the Futures game. It's really cool. You're looking at some of the best professional talent in the world that isn't yet in the major leagues, but it's almost inevitable that most of those guys are going to get there, even if it's just for a cup of coffee. It is a really cool event. I was a little bit disheartened last year that so you've got the uh, futures game, you get a little concert, and then you have the celebrity softball game, which everybody's seen after the uh, uh, All Star game. You know, you see it on ESPN or ESPN two, whatever. The celebrity softball game was better attended than the futures game, and that was with a One Republic concert in the middle. So uh, the baseball fan of me was like, "What are these idiots doing? Wanting to watch Von Miller?" Uh, you know, play softball and YouTube stars and things like that. Go to the Futures game. Ticket is always affordable. And then if you want to stick around to watch Shaq or something play softball, you can do that. Yeah, and, uh, they, and oh, sorry, I per, was per, perhaps if they had promised watchers multiple republics, like two or three republics oh. after the after the game, it might have been better attended. I was gonna say I, I agree with you, Ronan, because I've been to the Futures games as well. I went in 03. And David Kelton was the Cubs prospect at that time. <laughs> that worked out. But, uh, um, the celebrity softball game, which they play after the home run derby, like on tape delay. So it's kind of weird on ESPN. Uh, that was oddly more attended. Although I will say the 03 celebrities were a lot better when I went back and looked them up than people I've never heard of. that Really, are really stretching the definition of celebrity in recent years. Oh, it was tough. I mean, I, you want to feel old go to an event like that. And it's like, who, who the hell what? are these people? And people next to me that are my age or maybe a couple years younger are screaming and going crazy for 
this DJ or this YouTube personality or this Twitch star. And I, I'm like, it's time to go. I didn't make it to the end of the softball game, but uh, very fun, you know, for that futures game itself. Definitely. All right, Randall. I, go for it. Yeah, totally. Randall, uh, so you got a pitcher and a hitter you're excited about right now. Uh, let's start with the pitcher. All right. Two individuals who are on kind of opposite ends of the, the positional spectrum and the prospect spectrum. We start with an individual whose name has come up on these airwaves before. Is a podcast airwaves? I'm not sure, but we have talked about him before. That's DJ Hers, the 21-year-old left-handed pitcher currently pitching at high A South Bend. He has a fastball that comfortably sits 94 to 96. We've talked about his Vulcan changeup where he uses the live long and prosper gesture as as his pitch grip and he's got a developing curveball 54 and a third innings pitched at South Bend this season. He has a 199 ERA, 85 strikeouts, only 27 hits, only allowing a 144 batting average against a 14.1 strikeouts per nine. The one ding on him is he is walking guys five and a half walks per nine innings, but we have talked about him before as one of these up and coming pitching prospects. And he has so far put up Pretty impressive numbers, again, for a 21-year-old at South Bend. On the opposite end, we have a position player, and that is Jake Slaughter, a fantastic baseball name, a fantastic name no matter what sport you play. He is a third baseman. He was drafted in 2018. He is old for the level. We will get to that. He is playing right now at Double A Tennessee after starting the season at High A South Bend in uh, 125 plate appearances for double a Tennessee. He is slashing 346, 448, 673. That's good for an OPS of 1.121 in those 125 plate appearances, 10 home runs, 24 RBI, 10 stolen bases, just for good measure. The knock on him is that he is 25 years old. He was drafted in 2018. So he's old for the level and he is rule five eligible. And I bring him up because this is a guy who seemingly is breaking out at double a, and it raises the question of, do you give him a look in the Arizona Fall League as the Cubs did for Nelson Velasquez last year. Now, Nelson Velasquez is younger by about two years, but Nelson Velasquez played his way onto a 40-man spot with a strong showing down the stretch last season in the minor leagues and a strong showing in the AFL. And again, for a guy who is Rule 5 eligible, you ask the question, do you add him to the 40-man roster and use a very valuable 40-man spot, or you do, do you risk leaving him unprotected and he ends up in another organization? So again, not necessarily a prospect. He is old for the level, but he is breaking out at AA Tennessee this year, and it raises the question, what do you do with a guy like that? Do you roster him, or do you risk losing him to another organization? So those are our two names in this week's Prospect Corner, pitcher DJ Hers and third baseman Jake Slaughter. Yeah, I, I, for me, I, we're asking that question. I, I think uh, Jake Slaughter, who went to LSU and was a pretty good college player. I, I, I just don't see uh, the need to roster him probably. Certainly not. Really it, it, breaks it raises out the question a little bit. Because I, I don't think I, – I, I would be surprised if he's drafted in the Rule 5 draft and he's kind of old and then – but you never know. Somebody might, might take a chance. But yeah. it's a guy who's kind of really never did anything. He's 25 years old. Now he's hitting in double A and, you know, in a small size. I don't know. I just – it would. I don't think he would be a guy somebody would want to roster on their team for a whole year. And I don't. I. I and if he did, if they do, then kind of more power to them. I just don't think he's a guy that's going to end up. You're on probably right. It's just the sort of thing that raises the question: What do you do with a guy like that who is older and breaks out? Do you take it at face value and do what you need to do? to maybe give him those looks? Or do you say if another team wants him more power to them? And that I imagine is 
one of the questions that it, it bounces around the minor league development offices on a daily basis is what do you do with guys like that? So again, not necessarily a prospect, but it's always interesting to see older guys like that breaking out. And the question of, is that legitimate or is it just being old for the level and being a big yeah. fish in a small pond? Yeah, I think, cool, I mean, cool. yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think you want to hold on to everybody you can, obviously. And if a guy's breaking out, you know, that's good. Everybody performing well is, is better for you. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, I, I think you want to see more. You need to see more to give a 40-man prospect. And I don't know, maybe he's an AFL guy, as you mentioned. I don't know if he is. But, like, I think you still, like, Nelson Velasquez hit in AAA last year, too. And he did so as a 23-year-old. So, I think you would still want to see, like, maybe Slaughter can get to AAA this year, and then that would kind of show something. And maybe it will take Slaughter four years or so to get to the majors, and at 29, he'll set the Cubs' uh, rookie home rookie, run record. Rookie home run record, take that's it from right. Patrick Wisdom. He'll, he'll take, yeah, breaking breaking the, the record set by Patrick Wisdom in the illustrious 2021 season, something every player should aspire to. Wild, wild stuff here. Uh Man, I'm just thinking about that home run KB hit last night and Schwarber. And uh, I got to thinking about this um, completely non-Cubs related. This sort of crossed my path a little bit earlier today. Totally random trivia question from this year. Who leads Major League Baseball in errors? Javi, uh, I'm guessing. No, Javi ties into this in a minute, but no. I'm going to guess maybe Manny Machado. Ryan McMahon. Oh. Saint, uh, the uh, uh, Colorado Rockies infielder with 12 uh jeremy pena also with 12 the houston astros but i was thinking okay where's tim anderson in this where's javi they're both in the top 10 tied with 10 errors each not surprising they're shortstops they're both athletic shortstops but uh javi and timmy there uh i and i 10 errors each one in detroit one on the south side yeah javi had a nice hit today big win good couple wins for the uh tigers over the guardians i know kern liked it Yes, and a big stretch of baseball here for the Tigers. Uh, he, uh, Kern said to me uh, up in Wisconsin, he goes, what's the most disappointing storyline in the American League this year? And I said, well, probably Anaheim, right? They had that hot start, and then it all kind of fell apart. He's like, no. I'm like, okay, uh, Chicago White Sox, right? They had high hopes. They've been pretty mediocre. He's like, no, no, no. Detroit Tigers <laughs> not living up to expectations. So we had a good laugh about that. Yeah. Whose expectations? By his, you know, right. Tiger fans. It's been, been a couple years here. And, Kern has uh, very high expectations. Respect, respect that about him. But something that maybe folks in uh, central Michigan can get a little bit more excited about, uh, all those Lansing Lugnuts that are now tearing it up for the Toronto Blue Jays, you can see them play at the major league level. You get that MLB TV subscription. You can see what's going on there. And uh, Kern did tell me he's been doing a lot of watching the Toronto Blue Jays uh, because that makes sense, right? It's the minor leaguers that he saw just a couple years ago. This is our 75th podcast. That's that, getting up there, Randall. And this is a number that has never been worn in Chicago Cubs history. So question, boys, who will be the first Cub to wear number 75? Uh, it will be somebody on the fringe. It will be a relief pitcher or maybe a starting pitcher who comes up later this season, probably takes that number 75. Ronan, you're giving me a thumbs down. Yeah. You, it seems like you have a very strong opinion on who's going to be the first number 75. You know, I, Pete Crow Armstrong is going to take 75. He's going to dominate in L.A., he's going to come up to Chicago, and he's going to own that number. And he's going to own it so much, he will be the only Cub to ever wear number 75. That's a boss move. doesn't have to be a fringe player. Be the only player in a 140-year franchise history to wear that number. I'm pulling for Pete. 
That is an incredibly bold prediction. And just so that you can say you were right about this incredibly narrow and incredibly bold prediction, I hope it plays out that way. I was going to, I was going to go in your similar direction, but I was going to say somebody else. I was going to say somebody like Alexander Canario or something, if you ever make it to the majors um, would wear 75. So we'll be, we'll be on number 75 watch the rest of the season. Yeah. Uh, Randall, I know you got something before we sign off. Before that, though, any other baseball nuggets? Could be Cubs, could be around the league, something that you want to bring to the table here late. I'm going to beat the Shohei Otani drum again. He is the first player since RBI became official in 1920 to do all of the following in a single game. He struck out 10, 10 batters as a pitcher. He drove in two runs as a batter, and he stole a base. Amazing. We, we, we can't stop talking about him. And for good reason, we, we are privileged to watch what he's doing on the baseball diamond right now. Every week, it is some new record being broken. It's just incredible. Maybe he'll be the first Cub to wear 75. I like it. I he's like a free it. agent after next year. And I Jeremy, can't imagine going back to L.A. <laughs> no, no. Well, I, I mean, what a mess. What a mess they've got there in Anaheim. Uh, Jeremy, anything cross baseball that uh, has you uh, rattled up a little bit here today? Well, I, you know, I, I've just seen the Cubs play well always gets me going, gets me good. Yeah. And we're, and the one thing I do enjoy is the Major League Baseball draft, and that is coming up. And so I'm hopeful maybe we can preview some, uh, you know, some good guys for the Cubs in the future. Uh, there's some guys out there that I really like. So uh, maybe that'll be a part of the pod. And um, I'm, I always, you know, I love the, the amateurs, the prospects, uh, seeing them come up. So I'm excited for this draft that's coming up. Absolutely. And uh, as we said earlier, it's uh, unique to the other popular drafts here in North America that you got to play the waiting game a little bit. Got to be patient. Here's a story. Mark Appel making his uh, major league debut at 30 after all of the hype when he was with Houston and the injuries and it seemed like he was done. That's cool, right? It doesn't matter if he's quote unquote a bust. It doesn't matter if things didn't work out. Thank God the Cubs didn't get him and they got Chris Bryant instead. But good on this guy for the perseverance to get to the majors. And there's a really cool image of him looking around the ballpark, just taking it in, right? You cannot feel emotional when you see that. I just thought that was awesome. Absolutely. And there, there is the Cubs connection there that you mentioned. The Astros had the opportunity to take Chris Bryant yeah. with that number one overall pick. They did not take that opportunity. They took Mark Appel and Chris Bryant, the third baseman outfielder from the University of San Diego, was just sitting there for the Cubs to draft. So there, there is that kind of peripheral Cubs connection to it as well. But seriously, good yeah. for him. Major League debut at age 30 after missing a number of seasons with injury and ineffectiveness. He perseveres. He makes it up to the major leagues as a member of the Philadelphia Phillies wearing Ronan, your favorite number, number 22. Oh man. That's great. That's really, really cool. It's just awesome. I I got a soft spot as I age, I have a soft spot for these guys who have had major issues and obstacles, whether or not they were hyped and they just keep going and keep going and keep going. And then here he is, playing major league baseball. I mean, it's still impossible to become a major league player. Even if you're only up for one game or one day and you get shelled that one day, it's damn near impossible to make the major. So for him to not quit, to stick with it. Yeah. I'm going to celebrate that. And I wish him well, hope he has a great year and, and I hope he can make things happen in his thirties. It, it's, it happens sometimes guys catch lightning in a bottle and they make it work for a few years. I'm pulling for him. Yeah, he took a break too and came back and and came yep. back and was able to make it through. And him and Matt Bush a couple of years ago ever able to make it out, although that didn't quite work out the way uh, everybody would have wanted it to at the end. Uh, I'm I'm hoping maybe Brady Aiken one day can uh, mm. 
come <laughs> back uh, as a as a guy who uh, one of these number one draft picks that never never made it, and uh, now now that Appel has finally made it to the majors, there are very few left, and Brady Aiken is yeah. a guy. So, um, but yeah, you're right, and. I was I remember being surprised when the Cubs took Chris Bryant. I thought they were going to go with John Gray. So, uh, very lucky pick there. Not lucky, smart pick by the yeah. Theo and and Jed and the crew. And hopefully they make a similar one next week. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll be on it, um, Randall. I know you got something before we go. What's on your mind? I did want to say my heart goes out, and I know the two of you do as well, to the people in Highland Park struggling to cope. Uh, after the senseless tragedy on Monday, uh, I know we've all spent time in Highland Park. It's a, a wonderful town, not 13 miles north of Glenview, where all three of us grew up. We all know someone who lives or works, who has family in that community. And tragically, that community now joins the increasingly long list of communities nationwide, wondering if they're safe simply being outside their homes. We yeah. sit here, continue to trying trying to navigate a public health pandemic, one for which we had medical breakthroughs only a year in. And yet on the matter of this public health epidemic dating back decades, it feels like our only treatment is continued inertia and indifference and empty prayers. And it just seems like there's no question that gun violence is an unchecked epidemic in this country, but we don't seem to have an answer to it. We don't seem to want to find an answer to it, even though we are weekly seemingly asking the question, how much is enough? So uh, my heart goes out to Highland Park. I know the two of you agree as well, just a, a senseless tragedy on what is supposed to be uh, a day of celebration. And it's, it's just a weekly occurrence at this point. Yeah, yeah, I think that's well said, Randall. And um, I mean, it happens all over the country. There were uh, lots of shootings over the 4th of July weekend all across the country. Um, that one really, I think, rattled us, especially just given our proximity. Uh, we've all spent time in Highland Park. And uh, it's a little different when it's close. Uh, where I live, Colorado, uh, you know, from Columbine in 99, Aurora, Boulder last year, it, this stuff is happening all over the place. So um, well said, Randall, and a real, real big damper. I've said repeatedly on the show, um, how much I love the 4th of July and the pageantry. And it's just nice to see people out together at parades, barbecues, fireworks. That's the type of country I want to live in, right? Like it's the kind of place you want to be, uh, to be shaken to the core like that is just, it's, it's disturbing on so many levels and it's totally heartbreaking. I mean, the, the individual stories coming out of Highland park are uh, unfathomable at this time. And, uh, it's just, it's crazy. And, uh, Liam Hendricks, the Chicago white Sox, very outspoken on a number of issues in the last couple of weeks and good for um, him. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a voice, right? You're a major league baseball player. Speak up. And uh, it was refreshing maybe to hear that from Liam. Yeah, very much so. Um, and, and, you know, I agree with you in, in terms of, of giving the well wishes to all those and uh, HP, as they call it. So, uh, yeah, very sad. Uh, not the way you would want to spend your 4th of July. No, no, not <laughs> at all. Awful. Um, well, uh, I don't know how else to end the show, you know, coming out of that. But uh, we will be back next week, number 76. Uh, let's hope the Cubs play some good baseball here in Los Angeles, then come home with Baltimore next week. Not sure yet what day we're going to go next week, but maybe after the Baltimore series before the Mets come in for four. That's something that always gets Randall excited. Mets fans coming Mets to Wrigley fans. Field. Uh, we'll have uh, things to talk about on that front then. But until then, go Cubs. Talk to you soon. <laughs>